Welcome, everyone. I am Bob Wurzelbacher, the director of the Respect Life Office for the Archdiocese of Cincinnati, and this is our video podcast series that we call Being Pro-Life. Each month, we'll discuss a different topic in the Respect Life arena. We'll hear a personal story from someone deeply affected by that issue. And finally, we'll share ways that you can get involved. This month's topic is universal design and welcoming those with disabilities. Let's talk now with this week's guest. Will you please introduce yourself? Hi, Bob. Thanks for having me. My name's Taylor Hyatt. I'm a disability rights activist in Ottawa, Ontario, Canada. I've been a walker and wheelchair user my entire life, and I've been practicing my faith for 15 years now. I'm a teenage convert. So you're a wheelchair user. You say you were born that way. What put you in your wheelchair? I have cerebral palsy as a result of being born three months early. Essentially, it's brain damage in the part of my brain that controls my legs so that the brain can send the signals, but the messages don't all get through. So Taylor, I'm curious. You said you mentioned something about being a convert in your teenage years. Is there a story there that's worth hearing? I think it's one that Catholics of Cincinnati would love. In my province, we have two school systems, the public one and the Catholic one. I grew up in a non-religious, non-practicing family, was put in the Catholic school system out of tradition, didn't really think anything of it, except having a disability. I was immersed in medical terminology from a really young age, and I was a bit of a nerd about that kind of thing. And one day I was reading some weird and wacky news column online, and I saw a story about Florida man wants to end life support for wife who has been in coma for 15 years. Any idea who that was? It must have been Terry Schiavo. Yes. I'm very familiar with that case. Yes. Yes, it, it was Terry. And I didn't really think anything of it except, oh my goodness, how could a coma last so long? Right. Fast forward another month, and I was home from school on March break, kind of bored, flipping through the channels, and I saw Florida woman's feeding tube being removed was the headline okay, kind of kept watching. Oh my gosh, it's the woman from the story. And she's not comatose like the headlines say. She's responding to her family. Her eyes are open. Granted, her responses are limited because she was dealing with a very significant brain injury. But there was no question. She was not just a body or dead inside like everybody was saying. Once I realized that they were taking the feeding tube out, it horrified me. Well, when are they going to put it back in? And they weren't. And it was pretty obvious to me as not quite 13, you don't eat. Of course, you're going to starve. And so I started watching because I saw disabilities that uh, resembled people that I went to school with. I saw people whose situations I was familiar with in her And I was really struck by her family's public example of God made her in his image. She has this God-given dignity that nothing can take away. Those were kind of some of my first prayers and my first chances to wrestle with those big questions. God, will you please save her? And then later on, 
God, if you think she has a great worth despite this significant brain injury, what must you think of me? And so I uh, was glued to the TV, all the broadcasts, all the hearings for the next two weeks. And then I came home from school on the 31st. By then I'd gotten into a routine, got to turn on CNN, see what they're up to in Florida. And I found out she had passed away and it, it was devastating. I remember t- time kind of stopped at that moment, but I knew I didn't want to see another person treated so cruelly. Something kind of subconsciously, I, I knew I needed to know God, to know Christ, if I was going to someday stand up against that kind of evil. And so there on the couch was kind of my evangelical asking Jesus into my heart style moment. As divine providence would have it, my confirmation was, what, two weeks later, roughly? So that's where I started. I learned the church's teachings about the dignity of the human person and later the Eucharist and dove into more as I grew and haven't really looked back. Wow. Terry Shavel's brother, Bobby Schindler, right? He's, uh, he lives in Cincinnati now. You probably, I guess you probably know that. He no, we, no, I wouldn't have known that. Cool. He ended up marrying someone who, I was the youth minister at a parish here in Cincinnati when this mm-hmm. was going on. And we had that as a discussion, one particular youth night. And one of the families, big family uh, in our parish, the father of many kids, and some of them were still quite young at this time, uh, he got cancer and and he passed away. And it was just really devastating. And then years later, Bobby ended up meeting the mother and they got married. And so he lives in Cincinnati with his wife. So I know Bobby and we work a little bit on life issues here in Ohio. And I was certainly like, like so much of the nation, very captivated with that story. So let's talk now about welcoming those with disabilities and universal design. So let's start with what is it like trying to be an active member at a parish? What has your experience been, you know, with someone who has a cerebral palsy and has to use a wheelchair or a walker at times? What are the difficulties that you typically encounter at a parish? That's an interesting question. They tend to vary parish by parish, city by city. The setup changes depending on where you go. You're you're never quite sure what you're going to get. A ministry that I was involved in in my teenage years was doing mass readings and singing in the choir. In the parish I attended in high school, there was a ramp to take you up to the sanctuary, but I'm not even five feet tall, so when it came time to actually do a mass reading or reach the microphone, I would need to sit in a computer chair that raised and lowered and have, at the time, my choir teacher, uh, Jimmy, that, and the other activity I was involved in back then was, was music ministry. That was an easy fix. As long as I could sing sitting down, I was fine. I am so, so incredibly grateful to the former youth leaders at my parish, helping me come along for retreats, 
for, for lack of a better word, being my attendant and bodyguard, helping me navigate whatever facilities we might find. Fast forward to the present day, most parishes, in fact, all but one in my city that I can think of have ramps on them or elevators. The one nuisance that comes to mind is elevator keys. Parishes have different policies with those, whether they leave them out in the open for you to use or whether you have to call a staff member who will give you the key and escort you up and down. If you're new to the parish, that can be hard because you don't know where the key is, you don't know who to ask. Right. So there's an elevator and you get in the elevator and you can't operate it. And you say, does anybody know? And they're like, I don't know. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Or they'll say, oh, I think it's Jane, but she's a bit tied up or she's not here today. So her backup is Joe. Let me go find him. Right. Right. I can totally imagine that kind of a situation. I know there's a lot of churches. They're, they're going to have ramps that take you into the church. Yeah. But whether or not they have ramps to go into the sanctuary, that's a whole nother question. Yeah. That'd be the first thing, right? If your church doesn't have doesn't have something that allows someone who is in a wheelchair or to, to be able to get into the sanctuary, then you're right right there. You're telling people, well, you're not welcome to be a reader. I'm aware specifically of two churches that actually have podiums that will race, you know, up and down. You could be seated, but that's certainly not common. Did you guys have a celebration for the World Day of Consecrated Life? We certainly did. Maria Renegal is the director of our Office for Consecrated Life, and she's doing a great job. So we had our celebration on February 2nd, and it was at the cathedral, uh, Notre Dame Cathedral, right in downtown Ottawa. It was lovely. Service was fantastic, but then the problem was the reception in the parish hall, which is in the basement. My job at the reception, for lack of a better word, was to be the eye-opener. That, no, our representative church doesn't have any ramp or elevator to get to the parish hall. I was among many friends, but not necessarily close ones, who were familiar with the way I might navigate things like this. And so I had the benign question, are you just going to take the ramp and I'll see you down there in two minutes? Well, sorry, Catherine, there isn't one. We need to chase down somebody whose arms I can lean on and then I will join you down there. And oh, and the poor bishop was, poor Bishop Prendergast was attending and he felt so bad. He said, we're going to have a ramp by 2025. I'm so sorry. (laughs) Since this is for folks in the U.S., the accessibility legislation in my province is supposed to fully kick in in that year. By that point, you are either supposed to have completed or know what your process is for making your building fully accessible. My hope is that they'll have started construction on the ramp by then. So there are situations where there are rooms here and there that are that can be more difficult to access. So certainly working on those kind of look at what what is except what are things that typical parishioners do? Like what are places where typical parishioners meet, right? And is that place accessible? 
to someone who's in a wheelchair? That's a great question, right? To ask yourself if you're working in a parish. I think we have to ask the question, right? What if the answer to that question is, for example, well, this building is whatever. This building is 100 years old, right? right. 75 years old, right? Our, our parish population is small. We don't have a lot of money. There isn't anybody that I'm aware of who wants to be involved in this activity that requires going down the steps. I can't possibly afford to make this particular part of my parish accessible to someone who I don't even know exists. What is the response? And that's kind of a, a two-sided problem. You're, you're not going to fix something for someone that you don't know exists, but you don't know it exists because you can't see them. Right. Because they're not able to come to whatever your activity is. I think flexibility is required from all parties and be willing to do your research so it doesn't all fall on the person who needs accommodations and be ready to have a backup plan. A popular one that comes to mind is if you're hosting a Bible study at someone's house and most Houses are not built for mobility devices. Okay, how about meeting at such and such a cafe that that you know the entrance is level and you know isn't going to be a problem? Right, right, exactly. Most areas in in churches can be pretty accessible, even if for no other reason than the fact that the population, right, of churches is getting getting elderly. And that in of itself tends to create more mobility issues a growing percentage of the population can't navigate stairs, which has both the elderly as well as the the handicap of all ages uh, in mind. I think here in the United States anyway, that plus the ADA, right? We see a lot of accommodation in those ways. Are there issues that that even maybe take more of a change in attitude or simple things than big construction processes? I really do have to acknowledge the advantages that I have. I think of my fellow Catholics with cognitive disabilities. That change in mindset has been a long time coming, both in making sure those parishioners aren't treated like children when they're of age or like perfect little angels and treated not just as as if they exist to be served, but finding ways for them to give back to their community. Yes, that includes some kind of modification, accommodation, additional supports. It shouldn't exclude them, and participation with modifications should not be looked down on to the point where it should be seen as better not to participate at all. I do understand what you're talking about. If a person has to make such a big deal out of, hey, can you make this modification so I can participate? If they have to request it and people give in with such, well, okay, I guess if I have to, right? Then why should they bother? That's not being welcoming either. Even if the answer is ultimately, yes, okay, I'll do this for you. Like, yes, okay, I'll do this for you. You're not feeling (laughs) welcome. You're not feeling like people want your participation, right? There's something about being proactive, in welcoming people as opposed to only being reactive. Did I just make that up or is that part of what you were trying to say? I think we're on the same page. I think another thing that is harder to plan for because you can't really predict this until it happens is the unfamiliarity of it all. 
most non-disabled people might not be used to seeing people with certain disabilities in more than a spectator position. And so you see someone getting up to read and they have an FM system hooked up. Your natural human reaction is to stare. What's all this extra gear they're wearing? Instead of recognizing the role they're playing within the liturgy, the focus is more on, again, their supports rather than them being an active parishioner. People might even be more focused on, oh, good for you being active in your community or how inspiring it is to see someone in that position rather than, again, they're just participating in the life of their community. What I think I hear you saying here, even the most welcoming, accepting people will have this attitude of almost condescending, like how, like you would talk to a five-year-old, right? How good of you that you want to be involved in your parish? Yay, yeah, good for you, right? And, and that's all the farther it goes, rather than truly appreciating what it is that they're offering. Exactly. And I, th- I think the other part of that, which we can't really avoid, but need to kind of keep in check anyway, is our, our shock, our natural surprise that someone with such vis- visible supports would be playing an active role. It right. takes a minute or two to get over that mental leap and go, okay, there's a person here, they're using such and such a device, but your mind needs to go on what they're actually reading or what what they're doing ra- rather than the, the supports they're using. That's just going to go away the more the more exactly the more common exactly. it becomes. So the more proactive a parish is in accommodating various disabilities, the more people with those disabilities will be active and the less uncommon that becomes and the less surprising that becomes, right? Particularly if you grow up with it, particularly if children are seeing this, right? Then by the time they're young adults, it's like, it's no big deal at all. You know, they see it all the time. You started to talk a little bit about those with intellectual challenges, right? Which is not your situation, but some people of course have those as well. What are some of the things we can do to be more welcoming to those and the parents as well in that case? Well, you're, you're absolutely right in that that is not something that I personally deal with, so I want to tread carefully here. But I think of almost a decade ago when we introduced the new wording of the Mass and we had the, the cards with the changes in responses, I wonder if having some kind of their picture or written aid to walk the person through the Mass, here's where we're at, here is what we're praying, here is a bit about what it's supposed to represent. For, for example, the consecration. This is this is when the bread and wine are transformed into the body and blood of Christ. We have that kind of thing here. We had an episode in the Being Pro-Life series on autism specifically. And mm-hmm. because of that, we put together this very simple thing of pictures and simple words of what's going on throughout the entire Mass, right? And you could, some people might want to use this just for a neurotypical child, you know, at three years old, for example, yeah. you might want to use it for that. But it's also very helpful for older children who have some intellectual disabilities. It can help the person focus 
whatever their age is, if you have an intellectual disability of some sort, right, to know this is where we are in mass. Here's this picture and here's what's happening, right? That, that works on a level. And you can find those on the website, like I always mentioned, www.catholiccincinnati.org slash being-pro-life. In this case, you might need to go to the autism link and all those resources available. That's one of them. So yeah, that, that, that's a great thing. You can download that for free and print it out. That's so great to hear. I, I love how stateside you guys are coming up with things that in Canada I've never heard of. We have the ADA in 1991 here in the United yes. States. And you don't have that, but, but I understand you just said, right, that it's coming, right? There's something like it is, is due to be enforced by 2025. Is that what you just said? We've got a few different things going on, Bob. The, the one from 2025 is provincial. So for a long time, what we've had is province by province, they'll come up with their own separate regulations. But then another thing we deal with is what kinds of accessibility are handled federally across the whole country and what kinds are handled province by province, what kinds are handled municipally. My province, Ontario, has that 2025 deadline. That is when our legislation is supposed to kick in and when physically at least the majority of buildings should be made accessible. Unlike the ADA, one thing we really lack here is a complaints mechanism. So there's there's no way for me to go to a business or a government body and say, hey, this building is missing an elevator or is missing an FM system. So you're left up a creek, you're left to kind of navigate that process by yourself. And it's hard to know where to go so that you don't just get a, we're sorry, form letter or some kind of pat on the back. Thanks for noticing this, but we might not actually do much. So Taylor, are there any closing thoughts you might want to leave with us on our topic today? Well, one of the biggest pieces of advice I would like to leave with you guys is to presume competence, presume that the person with disabilities does have an active role to play, does want to use their capabilities to their full potential. Presume that where there's a will, there's a way and be flexible and be, be willing to make plan B, even if it doesn't look like what you originally had in mind, do as much as possible to encourage participation from everyone in your community. Well, Taylor, thanks for talking with us today about people with disabilities, how we can be more welcoming, and hopefully we've learned a few things that we can take home to our parishes to be more aware of how we can all reach out to the marginalized in our communities. Thanks for spending time with us today. Bob, it's been so great. Thank you so much for having me. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And I want to thank all of our viewers and listeners for tuning in on this episode of our Being Pro-Life series. Head to the website and view all the links talked about in this episode at www.catholiccincinnati.org slash being-pro-life. Thank you again for joining us today, and I look forward to being with you next time.